Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Gateway brought to you by the Northern Illinois University College of Business where your future is without boundaries and our approach is to. I am joined as always with my incredible co-host Dr. Biagio Palese. Hello Biagio! Ciao a tutti! Welcome, welcome to another great episode. And our Special guest host today. I am excited to introduce to you all Becca Huzar. Welcome, Becca. Hello, hello. And for this episode, the gateway is going to explore professions callings, ideas of what jobs are and who should do them. And to help us explore this wonderful area of doing things, the Gateway is excited to welcome Dr. Bethany Coburn. Dr. Coburn earned her PhD from the University of Iowa and has an expertise and interest related to work related transitions, workplace stress, and how team membership affects individual and team outcomes. For example, she has studied the impact of stress on physical and mental health and mortality, the effect of retiring and returning to work on one's identity, and how team membership affects helping behaviors, deviant behaviors, and performance. Her research has been published in journals such as Journal of Applied Psychology, Personal Psychology, and Journal of Management Study. Dr. Coburn has taught classes such as Managerial Negotiations, Strategic Human Resources, and Leadership, and Personal Development. Dr. Coburn, welcome to The Gateway. I'm so excited to have you today. I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. So I always like to start these episodes at the beginning, and um, I think that's just a good place to kind of get some context of who you are and where you're coming from. So you, as, as a professor and as someone kind of working in uh, the, the management realm, how, how did you get to where you are today? Mm. So long and circuitous route, I'm sure you are used to um, people saying something like that. Um, so I, I grew up in Northern Indiana and um, I worked in a really wide variety of summer jobs and they are surprising to people. So I will tell you, I've worked as, at fast food restaurants. Um, I worked in factories. I worked in a wastewater treatment plant. Um, I've done a lot of like different little things. Um, and so those different experiences, um, meeting different people, um, just sort of being curious about why people, you know, end up in the jobs that they end up, how they end up finding happiness and meaning in the jobs they're in, um, as well as outside the, those jobs. These things have sort of been interesting to me for a long time. And then um, fast forward to working at, I was working at the University of Notre Dame. And I had this like a real moment of clarity when I was in Thailand doing a research project about workplace well-being. And I went, yeah, I love this, but I want to do my own research. Like I want to figure out what my own questions are. And so I, you know, I want to be able to answer what I think is important. And so I was, I might've been in the Philippines. I don't remember exactly which of the two countries, but I was like, this is it. I want to go do my own thing. So I came back and was trying to figure out what kind of PhD to go to and ended up 
getting some advice um, because I was working in the College of Business. Um, the professors were inclined to say, go be a College of Business professor. And that was the advice I got. And I ended up um, applying and going to the University of Iowa. And um, at that point, um, there were a couple of people that I knew who um, had worked at Northern Illinois University. And so this was one of the places I applied and I ended up um, by the way, I'm in beyond in love with NIU. I just love it. Um, and also the type of research I do, I am um, have been really lucky to do the type of research I do because of the people I've met along the way. So that's the, that's the uh, short version. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. So, so when you were talking and, and thinking about like your research, what, what was, what was your work that you were doing at that mm -hmm. time that you weren't like, where were the gaps there? Cause I feel like at some yeah. point you're like, this isn't meeting what I wanted. W what was that? And, and how'd you identify that? Yeah, you, um, you really totally heard what I was saying. Um, so there were two parts. Um, I was on a specific research project looking at workplace well-being, and I heard two stories. One of the stories was from people who were active pastors, and one of them looked at me and said, well, actually multiple of them looked at me and, and said something like, I don't know who I'm going to be when I retire. And that got me really interested in this, like, I, I was just kind of like curious about like, what is this like when you have this identity that's tied into work? And and yet the work is going to be ending for you soon. So you're going to have to transition transition into something else. So that was sort of rumbling around in the back of my head. And then this project took me to Thailand and the Philippines to do interviews and a similar thing. So it's about workplace callings and identity. And so it was, I was over there and we were asking these questions and I just felt like these aren't the right questions. I don't find these questions as interesting or important based on what I have experienced in my life you know, to people I've talked to. And so I felt both this importance of the work from the, the interviews I did with pastors, but also this recognition that we're not answering questions that I think are really important and, and really meaningful. And so as I was, these were interviews with people who were um, workers who'd go into a developing country after a, a really big um, natural disaster hit. So a big flood and earthquake, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. And they would go in when everyone else was rushing out. And the type of questions we were asking, I was just like, this doesn't feel fulfilling to me. I, I feel like I want to ask them a different set of questions. And how can I do that? The only way I can meet that goal in what I think to be really important work is to go back and, you know, get my own degree and then write my own research stream. Do it yourself, basically. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. That's, I mean, and that's something I would hope that students think about as they're in workplaces. Is there something, you know, we have this entrepreneurial mindset at NIU. Is there, do I see a gap that that needs to be met? Like, can I do something better or differently in a way that'll meet the needs of a group of stakeholders um, that aren't currently being addressed? Like always sort of empathizing, taking the perspective of others. Like where is, where is there a gap that I can fill? And that's kind of, without knowing it, that's what I was doing. I see. So if you, if you're looking at identity and, mm. and I think specifically that yeah. word is, is very charged right now, at least in, in America, in, sure. in so many different contexts, but I, I don't always associate work with identity in, in the sense of who I am. However, mm. The, the first time I introduce myself, I'm like, I work at Northern. Like, what do I do with my job and my time and all right. of that stuff? Um, is that 
something that that falls more in your opinion of course in the western mindset or is the work the thing we do for job or or within our large amount of existence a, a kind of a global more human phenomenon that we identify with the work we do you know Russ, I have, it's just like you're in my head. I have been struggling with this exact question for just like the last couple months, because I realized I've always said, Russ, I've always said that these, that, that work has this capacity to provide, you know, identity related fulfillment, meaning like amazing things that it can really make our lives better. So when you feel this, for most people, they call it a sense of purpose. Um, and that's tied to our identities. Like, how am I making the world a better place? How am I contributing? Where am I leaving my legacy? Like, just a kind of a range of things like that. So, Russ, I've been saying this for years. And then the last <laughs> two months, I've been having this internal struggle. And what you're going to hear at the end of it is, I don't know. But I don't know to your answer to your question. But I've been like, is this thing that I keep saying, we are finding our fulfillment, finding our meaning from work, we have this, or not we are, but we have the capacity from good work to, to get these awesome things. Is this because I'm in a Western mindset? <laughs> you know, I grew up in a Western mindset and I think, well, this is how we are. So I honestly am not sure. And that's something that I should probably study at some point because, you know, there are, there, they call these like, um, like cultural differences across like large groups of countries. And I think mm -hmm. in general, there's more differences between people in a culture versus between the cultures themselves. But I do think like, I know in Europe, there's a lot more of a, of a work serves us. We don't serve work kind of mm -hmm. thought. So I actually am not sure there's been some studies about retirement as, you know, sort of a source of identity or identity work and retirement as being this kind of like mixed stew of like how do we figure out who we are and it was done one of them done in israel found almost exactly the same thing we're talking about that when people retire early or whatever like work is a really important part of people's lives and we know that because when people retire early in this country in israel in particular like they have the same stuff that happens in the united states so i don't know i think it's a really important question um i as i'm moving towards the retirement i've been studying retirement more um, I think people really need to think about them for themselves. Like your question is like the perfect question because we get our lives so tangled up in work and our work identity. And it's really hard when people stop working. And so I want people to think of themselves as lifelong learners. And like, mm. you know, even if for you right now, the work identity is like Russ says, I work at NIU, mm -hmm. but like also like, like you're doing continue building on this like other part of Russ and like just being like, hey, Russ changes. Like Russ is someone who grows, like thinking about yourself like that. So actually, if you could hear the real answer throughout that was, I don't know, it's a really good question. <laughs> um, and I, I've been thinking about, it, but I, I do think I would say if you, I would love everyone to think about themselves as an ever-changing landscape that they need to be comfortable with the change because it's the uncomfortability with change that really makes things hard. So whatever you do, wherever work falls importance for your identity, it does. it's less important than how flexible you are with changing your, like being open and changing and learning and growing. I don't, don't know. Mind me, uh, 
saying something as well on that like I wonder too if it goes past just work or um Mm -hmm. like what you're involved in and if it's more like we as people identify too much with external factors in Mm -hmm. general rather than Mm -hmm. finding internal validation um but it's because we live in a society where you work up until a lot of people pass the like retirement age that we just assume that these external things, what we do spending our day mm. is what brings us value and is who we are when really it's, it's almost uh, more, I don't want to say woo woo than that, but like <laughs> a little bit more holistic and spiritual. Um, I don't know. That's it. It's a deep concept. I think deeper than mm-hmm. one would realize. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 yeah, I did. This is kind of why I wanted to, to, have have you on because I think it, it goes further than than we even think about and and as as Becca you were saying you know we just kind of do it day to day and then it becomes this this absolute integral part on an even spiritual level what we identify as our cause and our our calling and all that stuff the the other side of that though is if you're saying we may find an identity within our work um, at some point, do certain jobs bring an identity with them? So like I, I, I have stereotypes of jobs, of all different jobs, lawyers, uh, doctors, nurses, and, and they have inherent biases associated with them. I, you know, I can associate, if, if you gave me a list, I can associate a, a gender with many jobs out there, even though they have nothing to do with it. it it's just a word, mm-hmm. but I, I automatically have some of those because of my upbringing, my conditioning, all of that stuff. Is that then almost limiting what we're even open to within our callings? Or I, I'm I'm not sure if I'm phrasing that at all as a question, but I hope you're picking up something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I absolutely love this. Again, um, all right. So we um, we know that um, like I love your question. Um, this idea that. Um, is there a certain kind of image that we look at? So, you know, you mentioned like you think of nurses um, maybe being female, like do we have these things called images of people? So this is sort of another way of saying like, how do I, we identify somebody in an occupation? And so there's, there's a lot we know about how this mental image we have of someone um, in an occupation actually ties to who gets into that occupation or not. So some people won't even apply for a job if they don't think they meet this image we have. And so I think it's a really good question about are people able to live into their, um, really get into the right career if they don't see themselves in the job that they could be in. And in that sense, that what kind of, I think you described as sort of an occupational identity or something that ties to what we think of as being within an occupation. Um, I think that that is a really interesting, um, important thing for what I would, I would love for people to think about. And that's not just who have I seen in this role, because that is limiting. Think about like, how can I make that role fit me? And that's sort of what I would love for people to start thinking more about. Um, And it's really hard. And yes, I agree that there's certain kind of images we have occupations that can affect who gets into them, how long they stay in them. Actually, and we actually don't always promote people very well if they don't look like the type of person we would expect to be in a job. So just kind of like, how can we do better as managers? How can we do better as employees? And then how can we just sort of be brave and 
and try to apply for thing, jobs that we don't necessarily think we're perfectly suited for because we don't meet that whatever mental image we have of the job. Well, and Dr. Colburn, that, that's kind of, especially I was getting at, and I'm, I'm glad you picked that up. I was getting at th- this idea that there, there are built-in perceptions or, or systems that prevent or could potentially and historically probably do prevent certain people from getting to, to certain positions or, or having that because they may not look like that that prototype like you know there's the glass ceiling the glass floor there's almost like a glass prototype for for lack of a better one that will automatically prevent it and we see just anecdotally speaking you know certain like women in stem and and how it it shouldn't be as disproportionate as is but some of that may even be from the beginning that we have these within majors that you pursue or within interests and things like that at an earlier age that is just like, well, that's not, I don't see myself in that. Is this even a lifelong kind of thing that, that can hinder certain people? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's really interesting to think about it in, you know, there's, there's different ways to think about it. Like how are, um, like who is getting into a job? Sorry, who's backing up? Like who's doing what? Uh, what majors? Like right. so, you know, we're finding like you're saying, like that we're not having as many women going into STEM, for example. And then like who is actually applying for certain jobs? And so, you know, we might find that certain people are more comfortable applying for jobs that they're not qualified for, whereas others go, I can't apply for it. And what's the difference? One of the differences is the people who are applying who aren't qualified um, see other people in the field that look like them. And so they're like, well, I still can do it though, even though I'm not qualified. And so we're seeing that some people aren't applying even. And then when it gets, when they're into the job, so this is sort of the lifetime answer, I think, is people are um, not being promoted at the same rates if they don't look, um, you know, if they're not matching sort of this mental image we have of who should be in the job. Um, so they're also, and they're not being hired, kind of backing up. Um, so it's a really, um, it's it's hard. It's, th- there's one little thing that like, there are two little things that I would really wish that we can do in the world. And one of those is, and I say this to, to, my, to my students, to my friends, when they're applying, let them tell you no. So apply for a job, even if you're not sure if you're qualified for it or, you know, go out and try push yourself, kind of try something new and see if you can learn it anyway, even if you haven't seen someone in the field. But the other side of it is probably the more important part. And that's a structural side of like, you know, we need to be a little careful, more careful with who we're, who we're recruiting, who we're hiring and who we're, you know, promoting. And one little thing that people have found that can do that. And it's a really easy thing is instead of like whatever number of people you'd bring in to hire or to interview, um, you look, you know, bring in a few extra people. And that usually will diversify a field, uh, diversify a field of applicants. And then we end up getting a little more diversity in, in uh, the applicant who've been hired, if that makes sense. So it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a lifetime thing. And, and I just, it's, it's hard. And I think the more we can really encourage and support each other, um, you know, you know, saying like, if I've made it, I want to make sure other people can make it taking that perspective of others who don't look like us and go, Hey, I want to make, help them make it. I think that's a really important piece, but yeah, it's like a, it is definitely the lifetime thing, Russ. I, uh, I I find myself having multiple thoughts at the exact same time, uh, mm-hmm. and and that's a really good thing because as you're as you're talking about 
roles that that might have prototypes associated with them we we've come out of or or at least you know still dealing with a, a very large cultural shift within work during the pandemic and and switching to much more virtual do you see that potentially and again i i i know i don't expect a you know a concrete answer yes or no on this one but do you think the the forced shift to virtual within work has maybe broke some of those prototypes because now I don't some of my colleagues I don't see you know it's email or we just talk you know through teams and it's a phone call and that's it so I, I have almost a disconnect to the the physical person where when it was coming to campus five days a week or going to my job I, I always had that I was always presented with that first do you do you think that's going to open up more or is it, are we going to just continue to revert right back to it and say oh this is what I think yeah I mean I think I think that's a really good point so so I think there's a chance that that some of the um I'm going to use the word flexibility in um, the, the work environment, the work, mm, the way mm -hmm. to do the work is gonna give us a little more flexibility and some of those prototypes, you know, I'm just guessing. Um, and one of the reasons I'm guessing this is, and forgive me if you've heard this story, but it just blows my mind. Um, so I had a friend when I was in my PhD who is in the PhD that um, of like, she's a professional musician. And so she just casually mentioned that that she had to, for her interview, um, not for the interview, but like the um, audition for one of the jobs she went on, mm -hmm. that she had to, um, she was like, yeah, you know, you have to take off your shoes before you go to the audition. And I was like, you what? And she's like, yeah, huh? well, so they have us play behind a curtain because they found that if they see a man performer and they see a woman performer, they're more likely to hire the, the, the man because, um, you know, the, something, and I'm going to say it's probably because of the stereotype, because of that prototype we have of who is a professional mm -hmm. musician. And so they found that if the musicians play behind a curtain, they can essentially erase that. So if they don't know what the person looks like and don't, it doesn't, they can't see if it fits their prototype or not, then that's sort of gone, right? It's just, they hear the music and that's it. Right. unless the person wears high heels out on the stage <laughs> and so they realize that they teach they teach all the phds don't wear high heels that that noise of walking on like a hard floor with high heels identifies that you're a woman and then then now all those prototypes come rushing back so and it reminds me of like the masked singer also when you can't right. see the people yeah so i think if there's this element of virtuality like you don't know if someone's tall or short when they're seated behind zoom and right. high is like tied to do people think you're a leader or not so like so yeah I mean I think there's going to be there could definitely be some breaking of prototypes hmm. I like that I think that's makes me optimistic for us Thank yeah you. well that's that's kind of where I'm I'm seeing that because work and technology has always been changing together like mm -hmm. as technology comes in work is there whether it was an industrial revolution whether it was a, a new type of engine you know any of that stuff it, it was work that really had uh, a large impact on that stuff as as the news cycles absolutely are fawning over 
uh, AI and tools that are answering questions for us and how no one's going to need to learn anything anymore. Um, is that something that you find positive within potentially work and how our work is an identity? Let me rephrase that. If I identify as a writer, and I am a writer, I am Stephen King, I am Maya Angelou, I am those people, and that is who I am as an essence, and there is something that in two minutes can write something, probably not nearly as well, but like something that like kind of rocks my core a little bit. Um, yeah. Is that a is that a good thing? And and will we continue to do the work if it can be done? Like, will we continue a calling maybe if it's just done by a computer already? You know, I think in our in our most optimistic world, you know, as things become automated and it requires, let's say, less person power to complete the same work. And now I'm going to like say that broadly to include something like chat GPT to do writing, but also... Mm -hmm you know, back when we didn't have robots in factories and it was people assembling things, like now we have robots and one person can do the work that it used to take, whatever, 20 or something to do. Um, you know, I think in its most ideal sense, then we say, okay, then this person is doing the work of 20. So they're getting paid for the work of 20. And so now they can live this really rich life and maybe their calling happens outside of work. And so so it would, in, in its most purest form, should free people up to live into their calling in a variety of ways. Mm. My concern is, I think what most people's concern is, is will that actually happen? Or are we gonna just find that people expect you to do instead of the work of 20, now you have to do the work of 40 and you get paid for the work of a half person. And so I think like, if we're asking people to do all this really high pressure time demand work, um, that we are, that that's what we do. You know, We generally ask people to do more than they have time for. Um, are we, going to have that humanity enough to also give, you know, what's going to happen with that. So I, I think it's a little bit scary. It kind of, it worries me because I don't know if we have the, the idea that we're taking care of workers or taking care of each other enough to be able to handle this technology responsibly because in the past we haven't, but I'm an optimist. So hopefully we'll get this figured out. And, you know, and, but as far as the identity piece goes is, you know, I, I think as a teacher, I worry about like, well, so we had this big move is um, into online. And so if you if you record your lectures and your quizzes are um, automated, what they were finding is they're having people who were who had died years before were still instructors of record because they were using their recorded lectures and the quizzes they wrote. Yeah. So, you know, as technology is doing these things, like what does that mean for the people? You know, are you I don't I think it's really interesting, but I mean, hopefully is, you know, we've got all these business students, hopefully they're going to bring this amazing management style and it's going to give people both this flexibility to leave into their calling, maybe even outside of work. And also like the financial resources to be able to do that and the ethics and morals to make sure people have all the things they need for identity. So the, the I hope, I mean, we, we have the right kind of technology to do that, but, you know, we have in the past not really done a great job of letting people grow alongside technology, yeah. I guess. So I want to shift gears a, a little bit. Um, as someone who 
has looked at work and, and kind of seen some of those things of, of probably when people are happy and maybe not and, and retirement and identity within work. If you're looking at a group of people starting out within their career or even people changing their careers, is there any general advice that that you would try and give or, or pass along to people that are looking for a more fulfilling element to their work or a job or something that they 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 do or is it just like good luck and and hopefully it works out <laughs> well definitely good luck I hope it works out but also, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um you know I I think this is a kind of this is a kind of advice that we've learned from retirement but I think it applies to any sort of occupational change um and that is identifying the parts that you care about the most. And that's, um, you know, and that's not just thinking about today, but that's also like thinking about your future. So, you know, is it most important to you that, um, that you make a difference today, you know, working with um, a certain population of people? Like, is that the most important thing? Or is the most important thing that you, you know, contribute to your family's well, you know, welfare or something. But like, I think the the know thyself part is important. There's some career assessments people can do that really try to help them uncover really specifically what are the parts that are important to their own value system, and whatever that value system is, or like whatever those those values are that are really important to them. Doing those self assessments, really understanding themselves better, and then looking for jobs that have as many of those as possible. And then also have the things that don't have the, that do not have the things that they're most opposed to. So um, what I mean by that is like, so this is again with the people I've talked to who've transitioned into retirement, um, they've been talking about that they're looking for things that match their skills, that are important to, they're meaningful to them, that they feel like they can make a difference and also don't have the things that they really hate. And so like, you know, let's say they, Let's say they deeply, deeply hate office politics. Okay, we you know where's there a place that you can get away from that? Or let's, I don't know what, I don't know what other examples I can come up with right now, but but I think these self-assessments that really get to your your core, your personal values, and then like doing the assessments that compare those core values to the existing careers, I think are important. But also just um, you know, the, the specific organization you work in is important. So comparing, you know, making sure that it matches that way. Um, and I don't know, it's just, it is a struggle. And just, again, I think having that mentality of being a lifelong learner and just going, we're going to get, we're going to grow through change and we just have to keep doing it. It'll get easier the more we do it. Um, being open to changing and growing and saying, if this doesn't work, let's try a new thing. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I, I really do appreciate that because especially when, when we work with a lot of people starting out, we don't really think of retirement or that's just so far down the line. And, and really the, the, it can be a culmination of our, our entire life to, to build a retirement and not, not only financially, but uh, an actual lived life of retirement that we're happy with. And, and thinking about that, yeah, is, is something important. Um, okay. So Dr. Coburn, I really want to know your perspective on Gen Z on all of these topics. So I'm seeing a big difference in Gen Z in how they approach work, how they approach boundaries, uh, work-life balance, 
So what is your perspective on Gen Z overall with all of these topics that we've discussed? Or if you want to just choose uh, one of these topics, that's fine too. I, I, I really like that question. Um, people don't always love my answer. So forgive this, um, please. But I, um, I don't think there's generational differences. I think that the generations are generally motivated by the same things. Like let's say search for meaning, um, financial stability, things like that. But I think what we're seeing, I personally think what we're seeing is that Gen Z is learning from their predecessors. So, um, or you know, like each generation learns from their, their predecessors. So for example, I am Gen X and we learn from seeing what our parents went through when there was a big recession. So we learned something about how to be at work. And then people are learning from, you know, what we learned and how we want to be. And what I actually think, and this is not research-based, it is my feelings, but there is solid research that there's not generational differences in terms of like, are some people just like not good? Like, is there one generation that's not as good as the other? So if we're going to do broad sweeping generalizations that are like, this one is just like, this is the greatest generation. This is the worst generation. Like, that's not a thing. But I do think that we are starting to see the things that people are wanting as young people in Gen Z, these are actually what my retirees are wanting. And so I actually think that people are just figuring out what they want sooner. And it's a little bit hard to accept that the things that people are prioritizing, for example, a good work-life balance, that is what my retirees are wanting. And it's just like, they figured it out a little bit later than my, than our Gen Zers did. So I'm kind of like speaking out of both sides of my mouth by saying, there's not really generational differences, but here's one way it might be. Um, but I think that like, if we think about what are the differences, I think we're generally motivated by the same basic things, but how do we like actually get to those things? Um, I think maybe there are a little bit of differences with that. And that might be what you're picking up on. Like, if we say like, we're all motivated to like find meaning, okay, well, how are we finding meaning? Are we finding it at work? Are we finding it at home? Are we finding it in some sort of combination of both? And like, so maybe there's some differences there. There's no research on that yet though. But I think it's, it's really interesting. Good question. Wish I had a better answer or more solid answer. No, I, I think everything you just said makes sense too. And maybe that's the thing is it's more shifting uh, our perspective and thinking we all want different things. And it's more just, uh, we're all wanting the same things, but I mean, exactly what you said, we're, we're finding those things at different times. We're able to look at people older than us and see um, there's more, there's also more visibility too, right? With people are becoming more uh, vulnerable, transparent, honest with their experiences. So I think that probably plays into it too. I love that. And these connections that we have internationally um, or, you know, like just globally because of the internet, these are things that we didn't have before. And so now we're really able to see how do people live in other places? You know, where would I want to live? What kind of work would I want to do? Um, we're able to see that at a level that we've never been able to see it before. And then I think, unfortunately, that layer of it's really hard is that social comparison layer. That's very difficult. So that is a kind of a problem. I think that we acknowledge social media is is contributing to is that like, well, am I doing as well as other people? So that's that's sort of a different issue. But but I think that 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 kind of visibility that you're talking about is it's tricky. I mean, it, it makes things a little bit. Um, it's definitely interesting. It's like so we're able to con connect with people we've never, you know, maybe before you felt like you're the only person in your town that was interested in you know, X, Y, Z. And now you can find a whole community of people who are interested in 
I'll talk about my niece, K-pop. She is the only one in her school who likes <laughs> K-pop, but she's able to find thousands of other people who love K-pop across the United States because now we have the internet. So interesting. Yeah. And to go full circle with it, then it just goes back to the whole, we have these images of what certain people should look like. But mm -hmm. if you take algorithm aside, it's with influencers now, you can find people of all all shapes and sizes, uh, people that look completely different you, than you that are interested in the same thing. So hopefully that is a good part of social media, breaking down those those preconceived images of of what we picture a person, a person or a profession should be. I love that. I love it so much. I hope so. The I want to I want to ask one more question of you, and and this it might be a little challenging, and, and I hope it kind of is. But with with <laughs> the research you've done and and all of all of the work and and classes you've taught, often when when I'm speaking to someone with your background, uh, there's there's a question out there, or there's some research you'd like to do, but due to constraints of reality or, or resources or whatever, it, it's just not possible. Um, if literally all the rules of physics and all of the laws and all of that, everything was gone and all of that stuff, is there something you would like to to ask and, and get a, a straight answer to something that you could be like, I can definitively say this. And, and this is still kind of what I I'm, I'm wondering about. And this is where I'm at. Do, do you have one of those questions in your mind? <laughs> yeah. So it is a hard question. Well done. Um, so I think, so I think like in context a lot. So like what, who, what workers are we talking to? Um, mm -hmm. And so that, that is where this, this answer is coming from. Um, I think the reason that I, so the reason I went to, to my PhD um, is tied to the context. Yeah, okay, so, all right, here we are. Um, one of the questions that I have that I would love to get an answer for is also um, a question that I had while I was doing that work that inspired me to get my PhD. And that was, we had these people who were genuinely called to be, um, you know, in this work, they were doing this really hard work. They were rushing in to countries that everyone else was rushing out of. They were, mm -hmm. um, they're going into places that didn't have, you know, they were actively dangerous. They were um, unsafe. Uh, they were there wasn't water, there wasn't a place to live, you know, completely flood damage or completely earthquake destroyed. And they were going in to help people. And these were people who were, multi they were brilliant. They're multilingual, they have graduate degrees, they're experts, and they're going in and like living in these really difficult and dangerous conditions. And this is the part that, that caught my heart. It was, I cannot tell you the number of people I interviewed who said, but I am privileged to be here because these people let me come into their lives and be with them in this really mm. difficult time. And so I want to understand how to help people have that kind of work experience where they are so deeply committed and in love with their work. And they feel like they're being like given a gift. And that doesn't mean that they need to be, I'm not saying people need to always go into a war-torn, I mean, not war-torn, but flood-torn area. But I mean, like, 
the deep love that they had for the work they did came across. And that really, that sense of flourishing and meaning they got in most of the aspects that we talked about, work and non-work, I just wish everyone could have access to that as an option when they move into their work lives. So really big, really impossible to answer, but I would love to figure out how, how we can teach people about doing that for themselves. That is a perfect way, I think, to end our conversation, <laughs> Dr. Comer. That was the the aspirational and and the the positivity of your mindset and your work comes through. Uh, and I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. And again, I want to thank you so much for your time and sharing your wisdom with us today. I had so much fun. Um, you and I, I think, are in such a sync in terms of our <laughs> what we find important and interesting. So I really, I really enjoyed talking to to you for sure. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Gateway brought to you by NIU's College of Business. Please make sure to subscribe to The Gateway. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. And if you are so inclined, please feel free to give us those five-star ratings, which help allow us to continue to bring wonderful guests to the gateway. Thank you all for listening. And remember to love always the promise of tomorrow today.